As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to Nobody Told Me. I'm Jan Black. And I'm Laura Owens. And we're excited to talk with our guest on this episode because his advice just might save your life or the life of somebody that you love. Our guest is Spencer Corson, one of the world's top experts in threat management. Spencer is a former army ranger who has developed and led security plans for numerous major celebrities, sports stars, and corporate executives. He's the founder of the Corson Security Group and the author of the new book, The Safety Trap, a security expert secrets for staying safe in a dangerous world. Spencer, we thank you so much for joining us. Jen, Laura, thank you so much for inviting me. A true pleasure to be here. What is the safety trap you talk about? Sure. The safety trap is a phrase I coined a few years ago when helping my clients to understand the false sense of security, which occurs when our fears have abated, but risk remains. Uh, In other words, like why sometimes feeling safe is the most dangerous thing we do, because when our vigilance goes down, our risk has a tendency to, to go up. And when that happens, that is when we are most susceptible to falling into the pitfalls of danger. You say that we often prepare for events that are not very likely to happen, like mass shootings, but we underprepare for things that may be more likely to happen, like getting our house broken into. Why is it that we do that? Because no one fears that which they know well. We, you know, I always have people come up to me and they're like, listen, you know, is this book like about fear mongering? I don't want to live my life in fear. I just want to, you know, go about my day. And I'm like, well, good, because you shouldn't live your life in fear. But, you know, there's nothing wrong with just a little bit of, uh, of just a little, all most of us really need to succeed in staying safe is a healthy sense of skepticism and a moderate dose of vigilance. But what we cannot afford is for, you know, this societal return to normalcy to also be a return to complacency. We have a tendency as a society to, you know, live on this fringe of the, of the pendulum swinging back and forth between, you know, nothing is going to happen and hypervigilance where we're like patting down grandma at the ballpark. And what we really need is a move to the middle. So while it's, you know, wildly unlikely that any of us will ever be in a hostage scenario or an active shooter event or a school shooting or, you know, a a kidnap for ransom concern. It is very likely that we will get so complacent on those final seconds of our drive home that we'll hit a parked car 
or that we'll stub our toe on the Lego that we didn't see on the floor, or that we will, you know, avoid a concern which will eventually grow into a crisis because our anxiousness didn't want us to contend with that problem when it was, you know, at its most infant stage and most easy to manage. And what I really tried to accomplish with this book was to just show all of those, you know, quote unquote trappings that most of us are most likely to fall in so that you can see what happened, see how it was allowed to happen, and then incorporate the five protective strategies that I provide to keep that thing from happening to you. So give us some more examples of why you say we're never more in danger than in those moments when we feel we're the safest. One of the things that my global experience has proven to me time and time and time again is that when we don't expect to see danger, we simply fail to see the warning signs that something bad is about to happen. But the signs are always there and staying safe is about training ourselves to see them. Now, sometimes we may see them, but we may shirk our responsibility or we may see them and we just avoid you know, having to contend with them because we don't want to get involved or what have you. But this is also the reason why after every incident of like, we just saw this tragic, you know, concern, uh, this, you know, this tragedy in San Jose yesterday. And already people are coming forward and be like, yeah, you know, he was a little emotionally disturbed or, you know, he, he, he was saying about this and you know, he was saying about that. And, you know, Sometimes our willingness to help another is the first step to saving ourselves. And because if we are willing to help those who are hurting, we can get them the help that they need before their actions speak louder than their words. During the pandemic, we saw a sharp decrease in the amount of mass casualty events. But I heard you say, and I thought it was so interesting, that we can't let our guard down in terms of what we think is going to happen in the future because the solitude that people have had and the mental health issues that have come up during the pandemic could mean that there will be more events like this in the future. Can you elaborate a little more on that and tell us what you foresee happening? Sure. Well, we didn't see mass you know, mass incidents of violence because there were no places for violence to impact the masses. What we did see, however, was a, a, an astronomical rise in child abuse, in spousal abuse, in intimate partner violence, in domestic violence, in substance abuse. And as our society begins to reopen, we're seeing that spill over now into the everyday life. Interpersonal dynamics are perishable skills. And I think one of the unintended consequences of isolating a society from one another during a quarantine is that, you know, we have, you know, kind of forgotten how to contend with one another and the acceptable norms for how we were interacting with one another in more of an online Zoom remote work type of uh, environment. You know, those are different than than the norms that the real world can contend, which means that our threshold of tolerance is now going to be lower than it has ever been. And so you're going to see people who are already anxious, who are already, you know, riddled with anxiety and some who had serious mental health concerns that were either exacerbated during the pandemic or just didn't get the treatment that they need during the pandemic are really now starting to spill out into our society. And we, all of us, 
need to just accept that we no longer can afford to live in a world where we simply hope that nothing is going to happen and then solely rely on the first responders to save us once something does. And this book is to empower you to see those warning signs so that you can master the protective strategies to keep yourself and your loved ones protected. We're glad you're part of our Nobody Told Me family of listeners, and we have a special offer for you from our sponsor, Ritual, who you may have heard us talk about before. We've been big fans of Ritual's essential multivitamins and essential protein products for many reasons. We really appreciate that with Ritual's one-of-a-kind visible supply chain, you know the what, how, and why of every labeled ingredient. And we're excited to tell you about another great product from Ritual, Symbiotic Plus. It's my daily three-in-one clinically studied prebiotic, probiotic, and postbiotic designed to help support a balanced gut microbiome. With Ritual's Symbiotic Plus, I get two of the world's most clinically studied probiotic strains to support the relief of mild and occasional digestive discomforts like bloating, gas, and diarrhea. Why include a postbiotic? It provides fuel to the cells that make up the gut lining and supports a healthy gut barrier. Symbiotic Plus comes in a delayed release capsule that's designed to help survive the harsh conditions of the upper GI tract for delivery to the colon, an ideal place for probiotics to grow and thrive. Symbiotic Plus comes in an all-in-one single-nested minty capsule. There's no refrigeration needed, so it's easy to take with you when you travel. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. It's time to listen to your gut. Ritual is offering our Nobody Told Me listeners 10% off during your first three months. Visit ritual.com slash NTM to start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. All you have to do is visit ritual.com slash NTM to start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Visit ritual.com slash NTM to start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. So what would you advise someone to do if they know of a friend or a coworker or a neighbor who they really are getting some weird vibes from. They really think this person might become a, a mass shooter or, or do something else that would be very violent. And, and what can we do if we know someone like that to prevent it? And to add to that also, why is it that you hear about people who have done these horrible crimes and you'll hear a few days later, yeah, they were reported to the police. People said they were suspicious and that doesn't seem to do anything. One, I always take what people say they did with a grain of salt because sometimes our morals are at the highest when the situation is at its most hypothetical. And the, the reality is, is that most people don't. Most people will see something and they will just assume that since it's, it's called the bystander effect where someone sees something and everyone else sees the same thing. And so everyone else assumes that someone else is going to make the report. And so then they just by proxy say, oh, no, I made the report because they just assumed that it was made. And in reality, it wasn't. Or someone, you know, like we saw last week, there was an attempted child abduction in Florida. And the, and the little child went and told her mom, the mom went and told the teacher, the teacher went and told the principal, and the principal's job was then to either tell the superintendent or tell the police. But they didn't, because that principal, for whatever reason, decided that that threat wasn't quote unquote credible. And so, you know, two weeks later, 
you know, the mom is, is for the, for the next two weeks, the mom is walking the child to the bus stop to get picked up. And on the first day that the mom doesn't walk the child to the bus stop, this guy tries to abduct this young girl. Now, had that principal simply done his do, you know, done his job, had just sort of taken that, you know, first off, what he was supposed to do by policy was reported to the police. But if he had just at that moment, just, you know what, this kid, it's the teacher, the kid worried about it enough to tell the teacher, the teacher worried about it enough to tell me, I'm just going to just, you know, just give the police a heads up. And if they had just done that and just sort of reached out and the police had done their investigation, they probably could have prevented this event from happening in the first place. They could have increased patrols around that area. They could have put in more cameras, more safeguards. Awareness plus preparation equals safety. And the more aware we are of the realistic risk we are most likely to face, the more effective we can be about the safeguards we put in place to keep those risks from becoming a reality. So yeah, if you see someone who is it was acting outside the realms of normal everyday behavior. And you are comfortable talking to that person, ask them, Hey, are you okay? I, I, I noticed that you're a little on edge or that, you know, this, this, this way you're talking is, isn't how you normally talk. What's going on. Some people just don't have the emotional intelligence to ask for help. So they act out in such a way that will encourage others to, you know, it's kind of like how the child throws a tantrum because he just wants attention. It's not actually, he's not, you know, he doesn't want to actually hurt anything. That's just a byproduct of, of the emotional well-being. And if you don't have that relationship with that person, you can absolutely reach out to a school guidance counselor or their teacher or family or friends or resource groups or the police. I mean, a simple Google search today will reveal an astronomical amount of support groups for everything from, you know, I have anxiety about mowing my lawn to, to domestic violence. And so they're is no excuse for those who want to participate to not do so. And I would encourage everyone to, you know, really start coming together more and more as a community so that we can, as a collective, work to ensure the certainty of safety for everyone involved. On the show, we've talked a lot about the warning signals of individuals who we're concerned about in terms of if they are depressed, want to commit suicide or harm themselves. But we have not talked a lot about the warning signs for somebody who we think might want to harm others. What do those signs look like and how might they be different than the signs we would be looking for if we were concerned someone was going to harm themselves? So on the pathway to violence, there are five very specific steps. The first is that there's a grievance, whether that be real or imagined. They, they believe, the individual believes that they have suffered some kind of a wrong. And then they have the second step, which is ideation, that they can do something about that grievance. They can remedy that grievance through some kind of violent action. The third step is research and planning. And the research and planning phase is when most people go outside their normal everyday activities. That's when you start to see the the behavioral anomalies start to come into play. Maybe all of a sudden there, there's a new fascination with weapons or there, you know, there's what's called leakage where you know, I may not tell you I want to kill you, but I may tell someone else that I want to kill you or that you'll be sorry. It's one of those things where not everything is seen by someone, but, or I'm sorry, where someone can't be expected to see everything, but everything is seen by someone. And the more those pieces of the puzzle come together, whether that be to a school guidance counselor or a workplace human resource manager, is that is really the best time to, uh, for the lack of a better phrase, stage an intervention to 
you know, ask that person what's going on, how can they help? Because one of the reasons we see, you know, the insider threat be so astronomically higher than the outside concern in both schools and workplaces is because that's where the grievances often first validated. That's where the ideation that they can do something about it is first realized. The research and planning can be disguised as part of their everyday behavior because they're supposed to be there. There, it really is no breach because, you know, they're again, supposed to be there. And, you know, sometimes that attack isn't realized until you hear the gunshot screaming out. Can you hear me now? Wow. A lot of wisdom wrapped up in that. I know that you suggest that people ask themselves what they're doing personally to reduce the risk of violence to themselves. And what would you share with us in that regard? Yeah, absolutely. There's, there's a couple things. One is just to audit yourself with honesty. Uh, there's always a big concern about home security. Do I need a gun? Do I need a dog? Do I need ring cameras? Do I need ADT? Do I need Brinks home security? What do I need? And if I walk up to you know, an everyday person you know, in the supermarket parking lot, walk up to them and say, hey, how secure is your home? Like, and they're like, oh yeah, I locked my door. It's, it's perfectly secure. I'm like, all right, great. And five seconds later, I say to them, all right, there's a million dollars upstairs in a backpack in the upstairs bedroom. It's yours if in 10 minutes you can get up, get out, and, and have no one be the wiser. Can you do it? And they go, yeah, absolutely. So what changed in that five seconds? Well, what changed from your house being totally secure that you can get in and out in 10 minutes is your vantage point. It's your mindset. It's your outlook. You're no longer looking at your house as that of a homeowner. Now you're looking at your home as that of a bad guy, because now you're thinking, oh, well, you know, the, uh, the kids, when they come home from soccer practice, they don't lock the garage. And, you know, my wife hates it when I stink up the, the, the guest bathroom. So she always cracks the window or, you know, the, the second floor deck, um, you know, the, the sliding door on the deck on the second floor is never locked, but all the doors on the first floor are locked. So if I can just, you know, jungle gym my way up to that, I can get in that way. And all of those ways that you would break into your house are the same way that a bad guy would break in because they are doing their own research and planning on how to target you. And the, the truth of the matter is that most home invasions occur because the front door is unlocked. Some guy comes, you know, by your house between, you know, 10 and, 10 and 11 a.m. to you know, put a Chinese, uh, you know, takeout menu on your front door. And then they come back two to three hours later to see if that front door has been open. And then they'll come back the next day. And when they put that menu up on the door again, they're going to try to see if the front door is open. And if it is, guess what? You just made yourself a mark. So the more we can audit ourselves with honesty in the realms of home, school, work, and life, the more you know, effective we can be about putting the safeguards in place to, to keep that risk from becoming a reality, which is why in the back of, the, of this book, I included four personal threat assessment checklist for those four realms, because those are the four realms in which we are most involved, home, school, work, life, so that you can audit yourself with honesty, you know, take a realistic you know, view of where the vulnerabilities in your own life lie so that you can identify those areas most likely to be exploited by those with nefarious intent. I know you say that mass shooting drills can do more harm than good at schools, but at the same time, it's hard as a parent to not be able to prepare your kid for what might happen. What can we do since we wouldn't be with the kids if something like that happened? What do we tell them to do? Sure thing. First off, schools cannot keep your kids safe. Flat out, 
And if you are expecting the school to be able to keep your child safe, you are putting your child at a, at a disadvantage. Um, both of my parents were teachers. I have family and friends who still teach. They are all excellent educators. They are not professional protectors. And we cannot expect them to wear that hat, which is one, something that takes a lifetime to understand and two, which they never intended to, you know, to, to participate in. So you as a parent must empower your child to protect themselves. Things like active shooter drills would be great if the, if the threat wasn't coming from inside the building. But the reality is, is that since so many incidents of workplace violence and since so many incidents of school shootings are insider threats, not outside actors, means that those individuals are participating in those very same plans, which are meant to thwart their very own efforts, which means that they now have, they have, it's like reading the other team's playbook on what they're going to do, because now they're just going to incorporate that, those insights into their attack plan, which is only going to make that violence of action much more effective. Same thing with like these run, hide, fight drills. Run, hide, fight is a great practicum if you are an individual or a POW and you are captured overseas and you escape the enemy confinement and then you run until you can't run anymore and then you hide to get your breath back and then you keep running and then if you're confronted by the enemy again, you fight like your life depends on it because it absolutely will. But run, hide, fight is not run to your hiding spot because, you know, just because the bad guy can't see you doesn't mean he can't hurt you. Like watch any movie, bullets fly through doors and windows, you know, very easily. Most classrooms are, you know, this wood composite with a, you know, with a glass frame so that the, the administrators can look in. Well, guess what? Bullets travel through those doors and windows very, very easily. And which is harder to hit the child who is running away and putting time and distance between them and the threat with each step they take, or the one who is cowering in the corner. Life and death is not a game of hide and seek. An active shooter is just as violent and unpredictable as a fire, but we wouldn't hide from a fire and hope it wouldn't find us. We would run. And so as parents, we must empower our children to participate in their own protection, to put as much time and distance between them and the threat as possible. Get out the window, get out the door, run like your life depends on it because it absolutely does. And so that advice also holds true if you were, say, in a shopping center or at an outdoor concert or some other place where an, an active shooter might might pop 100%. up. One hundred percent. So the advice the, is the, to run. Put as much time and distance between you and the threat as possible. It makes absolutely no sense to try to hide from someone who is hunting you. You want to get away from them as fast as you can, especially when these uh, active shooters initiate their violence, if you are not the immediately the immediate person hit, your life expectancy, if you try to put mu as much time and distance between them and, and yourself as possible, increases your survivability by something like 98%. But if you, you know, choose to hide and they find you, your survivability goes down to about zero. We know that the police try and contain people if there's an active shooter or somebody who is putting people in danger and they want everyone to come together so that they can try and get to the person who is trying to harm these people. But what should we do to protect our own individual safety since you say that we really need to just be getting out? I don't know how easy it would be to go against the police and say, hey, I'm not going to stay with this group. I'm going to go and do my own thing. 
Oh, it's very easy. You just run. They, they are not worried about you. They are worried about the shooter. So if, if they come in and, and first off, if that broke out and you, you know, the police response time is probably between like, you know, four and 10 minutes. So within that four minutes, you should already be long gone before the police even get there. So don't worry about the police trying to stop you. You may have to worry about like a, a teacher telling you not to, not to do it or, or some, you know, false authority figure that, you know, may be in charge of academia, but is not in charge of your survivability telling you what to do. And at which point you just need to be more disagreeable. Um, Cause I'll tell you right now, if, if push comes to shove and moments matter most, and my life is on the line, you better get out of my way because I'm going to run right past you. And if you try to stop me, I'm going to still run right past you. But you're exactly right. Police the, the responsibility of the police is, is public safety, not personal safety. So what the police want to do is contain the threat because what they don't want is for that active shooter to bleed out into the environment. They want to keep everything contained. They want to, you know, their mission is to protect the public safety. And the best way for them to do that is through, uh, you know, these like quote unquote shelter in place things. But shelter in place was meant for, you know, if, if what is outside is dangerous for hurricanes and tornadoes and falling trees and electrical storms, you want to be inside. But it's like, just as we look at like horror movies where there's like, you know, the co-ed in the kitchen when the bad guy breaks in and she's like five feet from the back door, but mm -hmm. instead of running out the back door, she runs up the stairs and all of us are thinking like, what are we doing? Why are we then allowing these administrators to tell us to do that exact thing? Like running upstairs to hide under your mother's bed is not going to save you, but running out the back door to the, you know, to the nearest safe haven absolutely is. You encourage people to have a safety plan for when they're at home alone. What should that involve? So the five D's of home security are deterrence and then it's detect and then it's deny and then it's delay and then it's defend. So deterrence is just basically you're going to promote a protective posture. If I look at your house and I look at the house next to you and really I'm just, uh, you know, someone who is I'm either trying to just get some some quick stuff to you know sell for drugs or to, you know, sell to a fence or to, to get some quick cash. Bad guys are, are, you know, the number one factor of target selection, regardless of, of, of circumstance or scenario, is likelihood of success. So if your house is dark and doesn't have a lot of light and the mail's piling up and it doesn't look like anyone's been there and the three Chinese menus that I've left in the door the past couple, you know, the past week are still in the door, you're pretty much telling me that no one's home and no one cares and I'm going to have a much easier time breaking into your home than the house that's next door that has the cameras and the lights and the beware of dog sign with a, you know, a nicely manicured lawn and blah, blah, blah. So that's the deterrence factor. Then you have detect, much like what, what just happened with you moments ago. Hey, there's someone at the front door. You want to give yourself as much time and information as possible so that you can make the best decision. Is that the mailman or is that someone who's probing your defenses? But if you don't know what, what is going on, who's doing what around you, when they're doing it, how they're doing it, where they're doing it, then you're kind of at a disadvantage. The second thing is to deny entry. Again, just lock your front door. If you just lock your front door, you are decreasing your likelihood of being targeted by like 85%. But so many people don't lock their front door that it's absolutely staggering. And then deny if they do, if your door, you know, if they do bypass the first lock, do you have like a deadbolt or do you also have like a chain on your door? Something that will slow them down just a little bit more to, you know, help you succeed in staying safe. And then the fifth step, is defend. 
And whether that be, you know, you're, you're barricading yourself or you're, you're getting out of the house, you basically need to know what's going to work best for you. If you're like on a, on a, you know, in an apartment building in a high rise, getting out the window is not likely, but, you know, having some kind of entry resistance or on the bathroom or on the walk-in closet or something that can buy you those moments you need for the police to arrive to support you is everything you need to, you know, to, to succeed, to succeed in staying safe. But what you cannot do is just simply assume that, you know, everything is going to work as you expect it to work because it will only work if you inspect what you expect. We always ask our guests, what is your nobody told me lesson? So what is it that nobody told you about being safe or identifying threats that you wish that they had at the beginning of your career? The role that physical fitness plays in staying safe. Interesting. I, I thought that, you know, I was a, a high school athlete. I was a college athlete. And I considered myself to be in pretty good shape. And then um, when my first day of, of basic training, when they put us like basically through this drill and they had us like do all of these workouts and, you know, we're, all of us are, are just about, you know, we're smoked, we're, we're, we're sweat drenched and, and tired. And then they basically say, okay, now the, now the battle starts. And it was really just about realizing that, oh, like you, you're not in good enough shape. Like you need to, and some of that is just mindset. It's, oh, you think that the fight is over, but the fight hasn't even started yet. And so the more that you can um, maintain your own level of physical fitness, the more effective you will be, not just in terms of your uh, mental preparedness, but your physical preparedness as well. And here's the other thing. When moments matter most, you don't want to be the person who's wishing they had done their workouts. You want to be the one who is forever grateful that they did. And not only will that help you physically, but it will help you mentally as well, because, you know, our bodies are basically like a battery that requires so much energy to, to be expended every day. And if that energy is not, you know, expended during a workout or, or through some other kind of like, you know, vigorous activity, well, that excess energy only has one place to go, and it almost always goes to our anxiety. So physical, the role that physical pl fitness plays, not just in a, in a healthy life, but in a, in a mindset, but also it is a key factor of your survivability in, a, in, a, in any kind of, of concern, whether that be uh, an act, like what happened at the... Um, you know, that, that concert in Las Vegas where you're in the middle of a field and you just have to run. But like, when was the last time like you had to do like a 50 yard sprint? Because right. you may not be, you may not have to sit, your life will not be saved by doing 40 minutes on the elliptical or doing a, a 30 minute, uh, you know, Peloton class, but it will absolutely be saved by being able to sprint down the hallway and then, and then down a flight of steps. But if you have never done that before, um, there's a, a, a section in my book where, you know, this, this, this one woman or this, this one, uh, this, yeah, this one woman, um, you know, had a plan in place of how she was going to, to get out. But then when it actually mattered the most, she was too afraid to run because she was like, when was the last time I had to run a hundred feet? Like she, it was probably like since high school and she was in her early forties. So physical fitness, anything you can do to improve just, even if it's, one flight of steps a day, that's better than no flight of steps because just every day, baby steps to greatness, start small, build strong, participate in your own protection and do whatever you can do to help yourself succeed in staying safe. 
Spencer, how can people connect with you on social media and the internet and find out more about the book? Absolutely. So the books, the website for the book is thesafetytrap.com. That's thesafetytrap.com, which has all of my social media links. <clears throat> and it also has links to my podcast and blog reviews and videos that um, are all about, you know, helping you to succeed in staying safe. And I structure the podcast and the blogs much like I, I structure the book. Hey, here's what happened. Here's how it was allowed to happen. Here you, you can, here's how you can keep it from happening to you. I'm on Instagram at s.corson, Twitter at Spencer Corson, LinkedIn at Spencer Corson. Um, and then the business is CorsonSecurityGroup.com, where we specialize in threat management, protective intelligence, vulnerability reduction. Our job is to help good people make bad things better. And I think you've done that with uh, this conversation and, with us. And you've got some great resources online, like you mentioned, really, really interesting stuff. I appreciate it. Thank, thank you so much for having me on. I, I really appreciate all of your support. Well, we really appreciate you coming on the, the show with us, and we hope you will come back again. I look forward to it. Thank you. Our thanks again to Spencer Corson, whose new book is called The Safety Trap, A Security Expert Secrets for Staying Safe in a Dangerous World. And again, the website for that book is thesafetytrap.com. I'm Jan Black. And I'm Laura Owens. You're listening to Nobody Told Me. Thank you so much for joining us. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.